0: Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast where we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now September 11th, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Um, I am of that age where I I still have a hard time saying September 11th without sort of stopping. And I I realize that that is becoming, uh, that's starting to show my age because that was, you know, 15 years ago. And if you use what the rule of seven, if you don't know what the rule of seven is, uh, and that is you don't really remember things in sport until you're around seven years, you don't really follow sports, it's not really entering your cranium uh, until you're around seven years old. Uh, I think that can apply for events in life too. Like, you know, my first memories of you know presidents and things like that uh, were around when I was about seven years old. In that general ballpark, and so with that in mind, if you are in your early twenties, you the September eleventh is just another date in your history book, and I know I've talked about this a few times, um, but it keeps hitting me every every time we hit this date, and so believe me, this uh, this is not going to be. A, a morbid podcast. I am no, I'm in no mood to do a morbid podcast. And you are going to see, you know, this being the 15th anniversary, you know, for those of us who were in New York City that day, it obviously has a certain residence. I think for everyone in the country, it had a, a, a residence and everything who, who have a strong memory of it. Uh, you know, if you want to see tributes or remember those who have passed, you know, I, I went to ground zero for the first time. Um, since, you know, the first time in, in about 10 years this year, it was the first time since they had the Freedom Tower and the nine eleven Museum, and I went there, and it was, uh, it was a little too much for me, it was a little too much for me, just emotionally, so, uh, but, you know, there's going to be no shortage of, of, of topics, and, and, and shows, and everything that are going to show that, and and it just is mind-boggling that there are probably there are people in uh, minor league systems drafted who don't have a real concrete memory of it. You know, there there are kids in high school now. If you're a high if you're a sophomore in high school right now, you don't no that's before my time. So, anyway, this is a respite, and uh, it's also a Sunday, and the Sunday request. Is uh, one that I'm uh, very eager to do. Uh, the Sunday request is by someone who I am, has a blue check mark next to his name. That's how important he is. Believe me, they don't just hand those out to everybody, they have a blue check mark next to the name of Jimmy Pardo. Now, Jimmy Pardo is not going to be a guest on today's podcast. I am simply answering a Sunday request. Uh, if you don't know who Jimmy Pardo is, uh, shame on you. He is one of the pioneers of podcasting. He was there at the front, uh, the way that Milton Burl was at the front of television comedy. He was at the front getting in early of uh, podcasting comedy. And uh, unlike Milton Burl, Jimmy Pardo is funny. Jimmy Pardo also has several other attributes that people associate with Milton Burl, but we'll get onto that in another podcast. Uh, he is the creator, host uh, of Never Not Funny, which is absolutely. It is a show that I, I don't know if I've heard every episode because it's been on for, you know, for. You know, 11, 12 years, but I've heard pretty damn close to all of them, and I, and I pay money for the Players Club and everything. My brother's a rabid fan as well. Jimmy has been a, a guest on my podcast before, um, and, and he or Jimmy, if you're listening to this, you're, you're invited again. We'll talk about why the White Sox should fire Robin Ventura. I think that's painfully obvious that they should. The fact that Robin Ventura has been the manager of the Chicago White Sox, longer than 24 of our presidents, for more than half the presidents we've had in the history of America, were president of the United States for a shorter period of time than Robin Ventura has been the manager of the Chicago White Sox and has yielded one winning season, no playoff appearances, and a clubhouse where the exclusion of a 10-year-old boy seemed to bring club morale to its knees and a clubhouse where its star player runs around with scissors cutting up uniforms but ah look at the product on the field four straight years of losing baseball despite spending millions upon millions of dollars to improve the team so uh, I don't know. Robin Ventura is the manager of the White Sox still, and I have a feeling will remain the manager of the White Sox until the end of this podcast. Uh, so, Jimmy, you're more than welcome to come on the show and talk about that and anything else you want to discuss. He's he's great host. Subscribe to the podcast. Good lord, my God! You think that he had pictures of me? I'm 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 just blathering on about how much I love his show and how much I I uh love never not funny and everything but anyway who gives a damn who cares what subscribe to his podcast you know seriously go go do that but to listen to me every day you know i do a show every day every day rain or shine uh he writes to me hey sully baseball that's me i'd love to hear your thoughts on the shift i'll listen for your answer off air um and what he's referring to, and, and Jimmy's not the first person to ask me this question, but he's the first who has been verified on Twitter. So therefore, he moves to the head of the line. Um, sorry, Cubs fan with an eight. What do I think about this shift? Now, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, which I'm assuming is nobody, if you listen to uh, this show, is often, you know, if you're a fan of this show, you, you have an idea what he's talking about here. The infield shifts that have been so prevalent over the last few years have really taken, a, a lot of teams have been doing it because there, are, there is research to show that this will get outs. If you are a team, and let's say you're, I don't know, for the sake of Jimmy, let's say the White Sox, your job is to get the other batter out. That's why you throw certain pitches. That's why you position the outfield in certain ways. That's why you say, hey, hey, guard the lines. Move back. Move in. Come to the middle. All the different things that you can do as a manager and as a coach or whatever it is to improve your chances of winning. And teams have been doing things like, moving the third baseman in between the first and second baseman to add another infielder there because they've done the math and said, like, they never hit the ball – to the left side of the infield. They always hit it to the right side of the infield. Let's make it harder for them to get a ball into that. It started with the shift that I think it was the the Browns. I may be wrong on this. I know the Cardinals did it against Ted Williams in the 1946 World Series. Well, they said, Ted Williams always hits it this way. Let's just move everyone over this side. Come on, put some extra infielders in. And that's part of the game. You want to get the other player out. And if having everyone clustered on one side helps you do that, then then do it. I mean, there's if you have done the research and you have done the homework and you will see that, hey, moving the fielders over here will increase our chances, and this we'll get to in a second, will increase our chances to get the batter out, then um, I'm going to go out on a limb and you say you go ahead and do that. Now, notice how I said it. It will increase your chances because someone could hit it the other way. Someone could, you know, be jammed and suddenly a flare the other way and all of a sudden where an infielder would normally be, there's no infielder and there's a hit. But you say, if if this will get us more outs, if this will increase the number of outs that we get, then that's what you have to do. Now when there are people who hate the shift. Now, I'm not going to be so close-minded that I don't... I understand why some people would hate the shift. I do. Because you're like, oh, come on, just play where your position is. And and there seems to be a little bit of a movement to make it, I guess, illegal. That, you know, you can't move the players over to here, you can't move it over there. They have to be in where their position is. So if you're a shortstop, you can't suddenly play on the other side of the bag. If you're a third base and you can't suddenly go on the second base side, That you have to, you can move within those spaces. You can move in between the base, but, you know, the shortstop has to be between second base and halfway through the infield. I don't know how you do it. Would you have a prot- protractor? Is there now geometry? But I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people who's saying, We should get rid of it. It's part of the strategy of the game. You know what? You 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 do things constantly to try to either deceive or get the person to uh, not make contact. If you bring in a knuckleballer, that ball sort of knuckles and floats and everything like that. That's part of the strategy. Now, sometimes if that knuckleball doesn't knuckle, you're essentially throwing a pumpkin for the batter to hit, and he smashes it out of the park. But when you throw a knuckleball, that's meant to get a swing and miss. If you have the outfield back, it's so they could catch a ball at the warning track. If you have the infield in, that's to cut off a sharp grounder and to throw a play at the plate. Now, you have, and, and making a shift is the same thing. David Ortiz is up. He tends to hit to towards right field. So let's not treat every position with an equal amount of urgency. If he is not hitting balls to the left side of the infield, then maybe just have one infielder there and increase your chances of getting him out. You know, I mean, this is part of strategy. This is bringing in a left-hander to face the left-handed bat. This is bringing in a pinch runner and blah, 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 blah. You understand. If you're listening to the show, I think you understand what baseball strategy is. And there is a certain amount for the critics of the infield shift. There's a certain amount of, I think for lack of a better word, confirmation bias that people have against the shift. That when someone hits a ball and it's where an infielder would have been and it goes through, said, like, oh, look at that. Yeah, boy, the shift's really smart. Look at that. Look at that. But then those same people will complain when a ground ball that would normally have gone through into the outfield is picked up by the extra infielder who throws it over the first for the out. Like you remember the times... When it goes through where, where the shift doesn't work, and you don't remember the nine or ten times out of ten that the shift does work, I am. I don't want to start seeing things like illegal defenses in baseball. I want you to have nine have nine dudes on the field, but you see instances where the center fielder comes in and acts like a fifth outfielder, especially if it's you know bases loaded nobody out or one out, winning run at third, and they'll bring in the fifth, and they know that they have a person who's conducive of hitting ground ground balls, you'll see, okay, we're going to bring the center fielder in, they're going to play right behind second base, and then the left fielder and the right fielder are going to kind of flank each other. Well, isn't that a strategy? Isn't the wheel play a strategy? This is all part of the strategy. We're not gonna make some of these things illegal. If you want to put everyone, including the outfielders, lining up like the wall when they when in those weird plays in soccer where everyone lines up in the net, if you wanna do that because you think that will prevent a ground ball from going into right field, then damn it, do it. Do it. I don't wanna see things like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You have to stand here. You have to stand there. F that. Put them where you want. Put them where you want. And that puts a little onus on the hitter. So okay, Christ. This is what they're doing to me now. I have to adjust. It's kind of like... When a, a, a player gets called up from the from the farm and you throw him a few fastballs and they square up on the fastballs and bam, kind of like when Sam Horn came up with the, the Red Sox in 1987, oh boy, we thought we got ourselves a doozy with Sam Horn, and then someone says, hey, why don't you throw him with a little bit of spin on it, a tiny breaking ball, then all of a sudden Sam Horn's back in Pawtucket, he had a... Oh, is he going to be a 50 home run hitter? No, no, not really. Not really. Because he throw him a breaking ball and he swings and misses. Can't make that illegal. So if you find yourself in a situation where someone puts the shift on you, well, then maybe you find a way to so say, how do I beat the shift? Now, every once in a while you saw like, you know Ortiz or someone like that drop down a bunt the other way. Fine, if you're going to give me the hit, I'll take the hit. But, Sally, he's not being paid to drop a bunt down the third baseline. Yeah, but he's also not getting paid to ground out to the second second baseman. He's not getting paid to strike out. He's not getting paid to pop up to short. So if you come up and you add three base hits, like, oh, right, you're going to give me a hit, I'll take the hit. Do you know what happens when you start piling up hits? Then you start saying, oh, man. Maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should put an infielder there, and then you put an infielder there, and then you knock a ball through the through the hole. You know, I remember looking at clips of the nineteen seventy six World Series, and in that World Series between the Cincinnati Reds, the big this is the, the heyday of the Big Red Machine, and they played the Yankees in the World Series, and they just clobbered the Yankees in the World Series. And Pete Rose was the third baseman of the Reds that year. And he, when Mickey Rivers came up, everyone knew that Mickey Rivers, Mick the Quick, could lay down a bunt and beat it out. He had that kind of, that was his game. He could lay it down and beat it out. But here's the thing, what happened. Pete Rose played so shallow. He was was practically alongside the pitcher's mound. He could shake hands with Mickey Rivers. And what that did is it prevented Mickey Rivers from laying down a bunt where he would normally lay down a bunt because Pete Rose like, yeah, I dare you to. I dare you to. Lay down a bunt. You're out if you do that. It took part of his game out. It took part of it out because that's part of what you do in the game. So if you want to stack everyone up, fine. If you want to pay the price for that, fine. But there's one other element that I find interesting, especially when I heard that the Commissioner of Baseball said, so, "Well, we're looking into this. We're looking into this," and that's good. Part of your job as Commissioner is to look into things. Is to say, "Well, let's analyze this," and who knows, someone may come up with enough uh, data for me to change my mind. That's how you keep. That's how you remain objective in life, which is all anyone wants from me, specifically me. But, dear listeners out there. One of the things that you hear from our illustrious commissioner, Rob Manfred, is a desire to speed up the game, to make the game move faster. Now, I'm going to say something and stop and think about this for a second. Don't shifts speed up the game? Don't shifts make innings go by quicker? Ground ball, up, one, two, three, out, onto the next inning. If you're putting it together where you're moving the game along, why would you say we need to speed the game up but slow it down? Shifts force the other team to change their strategy up. It's gamemanship. It's one-upmanship. All right, let's see you do it. Let's see you do it. And in a way, isn't that always what sports are? Isn't that always when you have a great wide receiver? You have a great forward on a hockey team. You have a great point guard on a basketball team. Whatever it is, if you are playing defense, aren't you trying to put up the best defense against that? The best defense in baseball is, of course, a great pitcher. But when you have a great defender out there, great individual defender, whether it's Ozzy Smith or Omar V. Skell or whomever it is out there, Mike Trout jumping over the wall or doing whatever he's doing, or Joannis Cespedes throwing a laser beam from right field. Yes, the individual defense is thrilling. But when you talk about the team defense and you talk about the team strategy... And figuring out, hey, I think I know how we could stop this guy. And force the batter to say, oh, you think you could stop me that way? Then either A, I got to try to beat you through that, or outsmart you another way. So in other words, it adds to the game, it adds to the intrigue, it speeds up the game, and it makes you bring out the best in another player. So yeah, yeah, I can see why you'd want to get rid of that. I'm a fan. I'm a fan because it makes the game more interesting. It wakes up the manager and says, okay, what did the manager do? Well, they know when to use the shifts. They know when to align the infield and everything like that. I'm all for it. It's smart baseball with an A. So, Jimmy Pardo, I did my best to answer your question. What do I think? I'm a fan, both of the shifts and of your show. God, quit sucking up. Jesus, what the hell is the matter with you, Sullivan? I know what the hell is the matter with me. I'm wrapping up another podcast. and I know that I have to come up with another one for tomorrow. So, if you want to see the, or if you want to have something on the Sunday request, go send me a tweet. And my handle on Twitter is at SullyBaseball. Uh, you can check the up to date listings of who owns baseball at MLBreports.com. You can follow me at SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, or so I have an iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Stitcher. Uh, I, I'm iTunes. I'm everywhere. You can be old school, send me an email at info at The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for September 11th, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Someday I'll be verified, and when I do, you can always call me Sully.